Hello and welcome to Raw Chatter, the stuff that matters. I am your host, Vicky Midwood, and I am delighted to say I am not going solo on this episode. I'm being joined by the wonderful Laurie Weber, who is an eating behavior coach. And Laurie and I are going to be discussing a topic that I many of you, which is about the ideal way to lose weight is to eat less. But before we dive into that red hot potato, I am going to ask Laurie to just explain a little bit about herself, what she does, what working with her looks like, and then we will dive in. So Laurie, thanks for joining me and I'm going to hand over to you. Oh, my absolute pleasure, Vicky. Thanks for asking me. Yes. Um, so how did I get into it? Well, by by accident, but not by accident, in that I had spent 40 years of my life in a disordered pattern of eating on and off diets, seeking a solution for my irregular and unhappy relationship with food. Um, and for the majority of that time, it was dieting that I chose. And then after 40 years, I kind of gave myself a bit of a wake up call. I think there was more and more stuff coming out about the fact that dieting wasn't perhaps the best solution, that there were other um, schools of thought. Um, and so a combination of more research, applying my own um, skills that I'd learned in the corporate world in a previous career, and also just finally saying, hang on a minute, you're an intelligent woman. What? what is going on? Why is this the one thing that you can't get over? There must be a way. And I found a way for myself. And at that point decided I had to help other people find a way for themselves as well. Um, and so clients come to me seeking a happier, more stable relationship with food that doesn't um, involve dieting and roller coaster weight gain and weight loss or binging or endless tracking, you know, just something that we might call normal. I know normal is a subjective word, but something that is certainly more normal than from what a lot of my clients experience at the moment. And that's mostly one to one coaching, but also I just to go on my online um, program as well. So that's what I do now as a result your of telling you. So your online program is going to help people to, to improve their relationship with food. But I want to backtrack a little bit on what you said um, just at the start there, because you said you wanted to improve your relationship with food and you chose dieting. So just help us to unravel a little bit of that so people can understand what was actually going on with you to see if it can resonate with what they may be feeling or, or thinking. So were you overweight? Were you underweight? Did you think that by losing weight you would somehow feel or be a different person? And what was your relationship? Do you want to expand on that a bit for us? Absolutely, yes. So I, looking back on it, was not particularly overweight at all. Um, but in my mind, I needed to have more control over my life. I thought that I was overweight. So this was about the age of 16. Um, and something happened within my family that was quite 
difficult for me to get to grips with. Now, I don't know if it was a direct correlation with that, but it's interesting that it happens at about the same time. But a lot of my friends at school were very athletic and very fit and slim. And I never was because I was born with um, a hip defect. So I was always the one that couldn't really run very well. I used to play hockey, but I was left back. Should have been right back behind the goal. But, you know, I was I was as as close to that. Um, right. And my eating at that time then started to be focused around the dieting. So the important thing I think to understand here is that the dieting came first and then the binge eating followed very quickly afterwards. Um, and that's a and, massively important point, isn't it, to take on yeah. board? Because for a lot of people, they don't necessarily understand that there is a huge correlation between dieting and then binge eating because it's almost like a boomerang effect, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And so your yeah. relationship then when you start dieting, was that when your relationship with food began to change really quite dramatically? Yes. Yes, it did. It did because mm. the dieting then led to a smallish binge, which then led to guilt because I'd fallen off my dieting wagon. And then the the severity of the binge then related to to then the subsequent severity of of restriction. And I've said this many times, if if I had a pound for every new notebook or every new plan I started on a Sunday night, I would be living on a desert island somewhere, <laughs> you know, um, because and I'm sure that's what it was like. A lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure a exactly. lot of people are nodding and going, yes, that, that absolute determination that next week it's going to be different. Yeah. Next week yeah. you'll crack it, you'll start on Monday, and, and we end up same way because I understand I've been in the same, same kind of cycle as I think of many people listening as you where we try to make up for the binge by restricting not actually realizing that the very thing that is going to guarantee we will have another binge <laughs> yeah yes. do you want to just expand on that this whole eating less will actually make us eat more <laughs> Yes. Um, well, I think human nature is such that if you're told you can't have something, what happens? Just at a very simple level, you actually want more of it. So by actually saying, right, I'm not going, I'm not going to eat cake, I'm not going to eat biscuit, I'm not going to eat chocolate, this is all I'm eating tomorrow, that might carry you so far, but that's just willpower. But you're fighting against a psychological need to actually have the things that you're not allowing yourself. Add to that, you're also creating a physiological, you know, roller coaster of overeating one minute and then undereating the next minute. And of course, commonly, we don't overeat on tomatoes or lettuce. Of course we don't. We overeat on the things that we haven't allowed ourselves. And they very often are going to be those demonized foods and I try to dissuade any of my clients from using the terms good and bad in any context. So it's those demonized foods that we yeah. tend to crave, which are going to be carbohydrates, um, usually sweet things, often savory, fatty things as well. 
all of those things on our sort of uh, band list, which then will increase a glucose spike, which then means we're actually then seeking for more of what that glucose spike creates in our body, which is a lovely dose of dopamine. Yes, thank you. I feel so great eating this stuff. And of course, that's part of the problem with binging is that at the time that we're overeating on this food, it actually feels quite good. And it's actually serving a purpose well, for us. But then all the guilt yeah, and shame and, and stuff. This is where in afterwards. And this is this is the thing. And after that hit that we've had and that dopamine kind of that buzz that you've you've lit yourself up. Unfortunately, physiologically and biologically, we then there's a massive crash. And unfortunately, that's where we end up repeating this roller coaster cycle. And we try and use our brain to override what our body, body wants us to do. Um, and ultimately, what's going on, we're not recognizing that the body needs nutrients. It needs the right fats so that the hormones can function and your brain can function. We can make better choices. But all we tend to focus on in the dieting world particularly we're talking about when you started and when I started back in the sort of 80s and 90s it was all about calories it was all about low fat everything completely um, and we yes. tend to binge on what I call the bakery the bag the box and the barcode foods you know <laughs> because those are the things that kind of want us to keep coming back for more and more and more they have the mouth feel they they're they, yeah. don't, they don't take a lot of chewing it's not like chewing a raw carrot stick they go down quick and you can eat a lot before you feel very very full and most yeah. of the time when we're binge eating we ain't sitting down with a knife and fork <laughs> are we no we're not eating no. daintily i mean we're usually stuffing in not really tasting it because we want the yeah. effect, not necessarily a flavor or, or, or the food. So you yeah, began this cycle quite young at Yeah, yeah, I did. And it and it and it and you know it wasn't severe all the time, it wasn't extreme all the time, but it was there like a constant narrative. But I think one of the biggest things that I managed to do for myself was not to blame the approach that I had had to try to make it better. Because for all of those years during 70s, 80s and 90s, that dieting was really the only thing that most of us thought we had available to us. And, and the dieting industry and marketing machine is very, very powerful. It's an industry that's worth billions. And of course, it's worth billions because people keep coming back to it. And so quite a lot of the work that I do up front with people is to say okay let's just have a look at your food story let's look at the role that actually this eating behavior played in your life and why you actually made these choices and let's just try and let it go and look at where we are now and try and just correct some of that thinking turn it round allow yourself permission to eat all of those foods understand sound nutrition as a really good base but but just to be yeah. more forgiving and more compassionate and also not just about the eating but also about body shape and size 
you know, because if you can come to terms with with yes. who you are and have gratitude for your body, that's such an important point to actually get away from this constant striving mm. for some arbitrary number. And I, who knows where that came from? It might have come from ourselves or it might have come from someone in Slimming World who said, oh, I think you should weigh X. And we sort of carry that with us for 30 years, which is nuts. Yeah. Well, these things tend to be from way back and, and they're not updated. It's the whole thing with the BMI when that scale came out. Was, you know, we're talking decades and decades ago now, but yet that scale is still being utilised. And when you mm. look at I mean, there's a, a few things that you said I want to kind of highlight for people is there's a clue that the dieting industry is not is not working if you keep going back. Yeah, because if something works, you shouldn't need to keep going back. It should, it, it should be one and done. If, if dieting worked, we wouldn't all be consistently going back on a diet. So it doesn't work purely for the fact that people think their body works in a certain way because the dieting industry has done a really massively, incredibly good marketing job on telling you that your body runs on calories and it doesn't. Calories aren't even a thing. They're just a measurement of energy. So your body runs on nutrients, but that basic kind of nutrition 101 never comes across. They certainly don't talk about hormones and they certainly don't talk about how hormones affect every single cell in the body. And just that stuff can make a difference to how people start to look at foods. Because as you said, understanding nutrition helps, but the language around it, that's the powerful thing, isn't it? And there's this yeah. idea that you're either on a diet or off a diet. You're going yeah. to seminars and you're part of the club or you're not because you've failed. And I have, in my in my youth, I did go to these swimming clubs to find out what they were all about. Um, and it was the most horrific experience. I think I was 18 when I first took myself there. And I remember somebody being weighed and just my sense of upset for this poor woman who hadn't lost anything that week mm. and it was humiliating and it wasn't even to me she was basically kind of being admonished because she must have kept to the plan and I was I went into the lose and I never I never came back because I'm just like this is this is not for me and yet mm. people subjected themselves to that kind of language and behavior so no wonder we've got this good and bad language going on which yeah. is so yeah. unhelpful isn't it exactly the industry is I think huge misinformation yeah. is massive so listening to what you have to say is so so important because people can resonate because they're not as you said you weren't stupid you're kind of like i'm an intelligent woman who's had an amazingly successful career what the heck is it about food in my body that i'm just kind of not getting to grips with the whole body mm. image thing talk to me about what happened when you went on the dieting roller coaster and then got into the binging quite quickly what was your relationship with your body like as you were kind of shifting through that it's quite interesting so i I, I, at that time, was doing quite a lot of um, amateur dramatics on the stage. And the one place where I felt comfortable in my body was when I was on stage in a character. Because for some reason, I think there was almost like that character force field 
but when I was every every day living constantly body checking constantly comparing and so no one would really have have known because I probably didn't articulate it but whenever I walked into a room I would look and see where I was on the scale in terms of not even slimness skinniness you know um and and that would affect my 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 confidence in that particular situation um and then I mean was your goal to be thinner than everybody else uh, um at least at least close to yes Yes, because right. it was a measurement of value for me. Right. And that's the key thing. Okay. It wasn't that's about really what my body was doing for me. That was a measurement of worth. And that's a fundamental right. negative body image driver for so many, many, many people. Absolutely. And that's why I asked you, because there's this aspiration that particularly with the with the younger people who I work with, who feel that their worth and their value is down to their exam results and their skinniness. And they want to be the person who gets all A stars across the board if we're talking A levels, but they want to get a first in their degree if we're talking degrees. And they would like to be the skinniest person in the room because it's this need to feel worthy, but also better than to some extent as well, Mm. which I can definitely resonate with. And from the sounds of it, you can too. And that is a powerful driver, isn't it? To keep on doing what you're doing. Yes, exactly. You know, even though it's, it's, it's obviously not working for us and we can't fight against our, our skeleton and our genes you know, I'm five foot four, medium bill. There is no way I'm ever going to be a five foot ten leggy. You know, <laughs> I mean, and but it's Supermodel. but it's just well, yeah, 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 quite. But but you know, I think that that does improve over the years. So I think that did get better once I'd had my children. Um, in that my children were part of my changing body and that was okay and now I would say I have the best body image attitude towards my body that I've ever had and ironically I'm not the skinniest that I've ever been thank heavens because you know I went down to quite quite bony um but I am consistently can I just interject just can I just interject there just just because And I think because people like to kind of know when you say you were skinny, because we know that eating disorders, particularly for younger people through lockdown, just literally exploded. And Mm. there just are not the the people out there to help. And I think to hear from from you who went through this decades ago, for people listening who are maybe in their teens and 20s are struggling now or are parents of a of a person who is struggling male or female it doesn't matter eating disorders don't care on sex or status or anything else but understanding that you were still body checking back then we didn't have all of the internet and the comparison but you were still comparing yourself the fact that things changed for you when you had children because you, that in it and of itself makes 
you have a different relationship with your body. As a female, it definitely does a sense of awe that this incredible transformation can happen and then suddenly your body goes back again. And, and all of that kind of stuff changes how you feel. But then coming on to the fact that you now are, are more happy uh, than ever, you, you've been, you kind of feel at home and comfortable in your body. It's not weight based, but were you ever in a position where you were threatened with hospitalization, with vaccine, or were you always just kind of not quite that bad? No, I never got to that point. Um, I so although I think I had an anorexic voice as a driver, I was never anorexic. I had binge eating disorder, so I with with an anorexic voice, so an atypical anorexic right. presentation um no I um so from where I am now I was nearly two stone less wow. and that's the only number that I really want so to put on it small. I don't think it's helpful no we're but... not we're not talking numbers but just to help no. people to understand yeah, that exactly. from you being very skinny you're now mm. two stone more than you than you were and you have never been happier. So the, my, my point being, it wasn't actually about the number on the scale. And it's not about what you weigh, but it is mm. about how you feel within your skin, isn't it? Mm. And this yes. whole yeah. idea that eating less so that you can lose weight, so that you can like yourself more, so that you can feel better mm. in your own skin, didn't actually pan out for you, did it? Not at all. Not at, all. Not at all. I mean, I do remember at the time loving the fact that I had all these bones here. I've had very bony shoulders, very bony clavicle. And I remember at the time, I think I went to a party. I must have been about 30, maybe. And I'm 61 now, happy to say. Um, and and I just remember wearing this very slimline um, purple dress. And it was velvet, I think, or velour. I don't think it would have been velvet at that time. Velour, I think, some kind of cheap imitation. And my, like and my hip bones really sticking out. And actually celebrating that fact. And I look back at photographs now, and it makes me feel very uncomfortable. Right. A, because I am very, very, very thin, but also knowing what was going on at that time in order to get there. So the association of the behavior and what I was feeling at the time, I don't celebrate that at all, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it's in this discussion. I, think I just like to touch on. Yeah. Just, just, just to quickly kind of um, help people understand how different eating disorders can be, because what, you've, what you're saying is so, so important. And I don't want people to miss the key points. You can be not necessarily anorexic with that label and be, be classic starving. And you've clearly explained that you tried the dieting thing and you couldn't do it and you ended up binging. That whole restriction idea led you to, to binging. So understanding that when you found yourself that thin, you weren't even able to appreciate back then that, that in your own head you'd kind of achieved you couldn't actually see it only by looking back now at the pictures could you actually see how unattractive that was but at the time you were celebrating and I think it's important yes. to help people understand that, that that's what's going on in your head 
at the time. And this whole idea that it's about, about the food and, and the behaviors going along with that. So just help people to understand the sort of things that you were doing or not doing, because there's a lot of deceit, isn't there, around disordered eating and trying mm. to hide food and, and maybe lying to people about what was going on. So you mentioned that you saw this picture and and it reminded you and you were quite sad and upset about about what it took to get there. So just help people understand some of the things, some of the behaviors and stuff that you were doing. Because if people are recognizing that perhaps somebody they know is doing that, that might be the opportunity for them to just ask a question or two. Um, or maybe just point yeah. them in the direction of somebody like you. So what sort of things were you were you doing? What was the behavior? Yeah, so um, the, the binging, in its minor form would have been having a fairly sizable dinner and then um, going back for a little bit more in the evening of something, getting to the point of um, a bit later in the evening and finding a reason to go and, and eat something else. So I, you know, it's phrases like, oh, I, I just, just feel like I need something else in my mouth. I just need to taste something. Oh, I've just got the munchies. Oh, I don't know why I'm so hungry today. But basically finding excuses, particularly if I was in front of someone else, to just carry on eating. And the right. binge psychology is that even when you are eating, you're thinking about the next thing. What's the next thing I can eat? What's the next thing? And it doesn't, and it's actually comforting, but frightening at the same time, because there's a part of the head that says, oh, so when is this actually going to finish? And then there's another part of the head that never really wants it to finish because it's actually yeah. serving a purpose at that particular moment, you know. Um, at its, And then in terms of secret behaviour, I would find an excuse to go out and get petrol, for example, and I'd go to the shop at the service station and buy, oh, half a dozen things family size bag of revels big bag of doritos big yeah, bottle of right. water you know and if i couldn't then eat them when i got home i would try and eat them before i got home or i might smuggle something in my coat pocket and then mm. if somebody if i was at home with someone if they went out of the room then i would eat it and then the wrapper would get you know stuffed down the side of the sofa because right. it, there's so much shame attached to it so you're constantly yeah. fighting with yeah. this demon, this thing in your head that's driving this behavior. Mm. You know, it's a, like a Jekyll and, and Hyde thing. You want to do it. You don't want to do it. You yeah. certainly don't want anybody to know about it. And yeah. that's a common thing shared by lots of people that talk mm. to both you and me. I'm sure that they just haven't shared it with anyone. Yeah. Absolutely, it is, and, and I think this is one of the reasons that people are to bring up. There will be people who can recognize that they are doing that behavior, or they know that somebody in their life is, is doing that behavior, and the shame around it, the guilt, the disgust, which is a, which is a word I often hear. I was disgusted with myself, there's the stuff that I would do, you know, eating out of bins and that kind of thing, or chewing food and then not swallowing it but spitting it out just because they wanted the mm. taste. and and when you can say to somebody, yeah, I did that. I did that as well, right? I understand where you're coming from because there's a lot of us do the same sorts of things, but we think we're the only one and that oh, we must completely. be such a horrible, disgusting person. And I think it's mm. important to know that 
we don't want that to be something that puts people off seeking help because we're not going to because chances are we're going to and we understand exactly how you are feeling about it i think this is the key thing with what you offer people is you've mm. been there and and i know for certain things when you're a therapist or a coach you don't necessarily have had to have gone through the experience itself but i think when it comes to body image issues and food and and that kind of stuff and addiction type of issues understanding the language and the thinking and the fact that not do you only feel sometimes that there's two people in the head but three or even four that are telling you different things at different times just to be able to to have a conversation and to get help from somebody who actually understands and doesn't think you're bonkers and doesn't no. think you need fixing is, is so <laughs> important because it's yeah. not your fault the dieting industry's message is loud and clear eat less move more and if yeah. it worked, nobody would have an issue with their weight. So it obviously exactly. doesn't work because we're getting back in sicker. So how exactly. do people and find out what you do? Well, I was just going to say just very, very quickly, Vicky, if okay. I may, just to say yeah. people might be listening to that binging and thinking, well, if you were doing all that, how did you end up really, really skinny? So the binging would go in waves and the restriction would then be really severe, like between five and 800 calories. Yeah probably on average a day and so I would I would you know lose it relatively quickly and of course it is important to say that the body for a while will go oh yes we're not getting as much energy so therefore we're going to lose weight but that's not the science the science of the body is then that it, it's basically designed to keep us alive so it will then say oh we have less energy what can we shut down? Number one, metabolism. Correct. Number two, various other functions that we, that it deems unnecessary. So then it starts to plateau and then we get despondent and then we start overeating, but the body hasn't caught up. Right. So the body's still in famine mode, isn't it? It doesn't appreciate that we've suddenly yeah. changed our mind and we're not going to diet anymore. So it's still going to hold on to all that, all that energy and all those resources, all those fat resources, just in case it needs it because it doesn't trust you anymore. You know, and so, right. so there's all and of this scientific key. stuff yeah. that it helps people to understand. Absolutely. And this is where the body is an incredible adaptation machine. And so mm. it will it will just say, OK, so I'm not getting what I require. I'm going to adjust and dial down my requirements. And so thyroid function will drop. You'll start to feel cold. You know, a lot of people talk about feeling cold all the time. Um, mm. And the most important thing to recognize is when you start to shift things, there will be an not period of adjustment because your body as you said will not trust you straight away because it just kind of goes oh hang on she's eating yeah but she's done this before and then she's then she's restricted again so we don't know yet whether there's going to be a steady stream of nutrients coming in or so we're just gonna we're just gonna play it safe we'll keep everything dialed down for a while until we start to trust her again and this is where working with somebody to help you to understand how your body works and not hate it for what it's doing but mm -hmm. recognizing it's just trying to readjust the other way um is so so important isn't it so to yeah. tell people how they can, can work with you on this stuff laurie yes thank you vicky um well you can find me on my um, website which is the mindful eating so there's information about my one-to-one -one 
coaching. There's also information about my online program. But what I like to do is have a free 30 minute chat with someone to sort of point them in the right direction, make sure I'm the right person to help them, to help you. If I'm not, I've got a vast network of um, people because that, you know, it's really important that that I'm the right person for you to be working with to help you. Um, but you can also find me plastered across all the socials. So I'm on Insta, I'm on Facebook, and I'm on LinkedIn as well. And you have a podcast too. Oh, for goodness sake, honestly, <laughs> what my life. I'm hopeless. I need a I need a separate marketing machine. Yes, I have a podcast, which is <laughs> kind of doing quite well it's got 62 episodes some just me and some with me talking to fabulous people like Vicky so if you've liked this conversation you can listen to our conversation on my podcast as well um, and that's just the mindful eating clinic podcast easy peasy on all your favorite platforms brilliant absolutely wonderful so all of that information will be in the show notes if you are watching on youtube it will be in the description and if you are on youtube don't forget to subscribe if you have heard anything that has resonated with you please do not hesitate to either leave a comment if you want to be anonymous you can do that on youtube or contact laurie either by her socials or any other means because the important thing is don't be scared to reach out have a conversation there's nothing else that you need to do just talking about what's going on you just that alone can help a lot of us feel so so much better all right thank you so much for your time as always we could have gone on forever but just let's help people to recognize that if they are going through the depths of feeling that they are so stuck in a disability pattern they don't know how to get out of it you can do it there is hope but it's so much easier if you reach out for help and talk to somebody who's been in your shoes so that they can help you to get out of the situation you're in in the best way that works for you thank you so much absolutely thank you you're welcome thank you for listening as always folks we only have one body and one life, as far as we know. Take care of it, because it's taking care of you. Until the next episode, take care of yourselves. Be kind, be compassionate, and be grateful for all that you do have. Let go of thinking about what you don't. <laughs>